Welcome to ACNL in Action, brought to you by the Association of California Nurse Leaders. I'm your guest host, Elise Shelger. Our guest today is Kate Ganella, Chief of Emergency Services at Burning Man, a yearly festival where close to 80,000 people gather in the Black Rock Desert, where temperatures can soar over 100 degrees during the day and dip below freezing at night. Burning Man was canceled in 2020 and 2021 due to the pandemic, but is returning on August 28th of this year. We'll talk about the unique challenges involved in building an entire emergency services department in the desert every year, what sorts of changes have been put in place for the pandemic, and how she and her team managed to provide care for so many people in such a unique situation. Welcome, Kate. We're so happy to have you. Thank you, Lise. I've really been looking forward to having you on the show. I've admired you as a nurse and a leader and just an all-around wonderful person since I first began volunteer nursing at Burning Man in 2017. So would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and the organization? Sure. Um, so Burning Man is, a, is a, an event that's focused on community and art uh, self-expression and self-reliance. Um, there are 10 principles that everybody follows when they go to the event. It's, they are radical inclusion, gifting, decommodification, radical self-reliance, radical self-expression, communal effort, civic responsibility, leaving no trace, participation, and immediacy. I think the one that people who have heard of Burning Man uh, have heard before is leave no trace, which is really a, a beautiful concept, but you, you take care of yourself, anything you bring out to what they call the playa, which is Burning Man, um, you take back out with you, like every single piece of garbage or anything that comes out goes, goes back. Um, and I think it's just a really amazing concept. And you mentioned community, but really it's, it's the basics of life and uh, cleaning up after yourself is an important piece of that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, every one of the 10 principles, I find myself sort of focusing on different principles in all different areas of my life, even uh, besides Burning Man. Um, it's really, it's had such an impact on me personally to um, have been going to the event since 2001. Um, and I'm just, I'm just amazed at how it also does that. Like everybody I talk to, that's how they, they, they see, they go to Burning Man, they do, they, they embrace these 10 principles and then they end up bringing them back into their regular life. It's, it's really a phenomenal um, experience. And then it's really phenomenal that, that it ends up impacting people's lives all over the world. I completely agree with that. I think that it, it instills some really important life lessons and life values that can be applied to any situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what, what keeps you returning every year? Ha <laughs> Yeah. Good question. Um, <clears throat> you know, when I first went, I didn't even really know what it was. Um, and once I had gone and I saw the difference in me when I returned after my first year, um, it changed how I behaved in, in my real life. It changed how I acted as a nurse in my profession. At the time, I was an ER nurse. And, and 
I knew that I needed to go back again because it, I was so enriched by that first experience. Uh, it has never stopped being enriching. And I, I you know, uh, as uh, what ended up happening is I ended up moving up into the top, the top position in my department because I loved it that much. And it was like, I was so um, impacted by, by how providing, by, by gift, how, when I gifted who I was to the playa and to the people, how much I got back in return. Well, that's a pretty wonderful reason to return, I'd say. <laughs> so you have such a unique role for a nurse. And how, how did you first get involved in Burning Man at all, but specifically their emergency services department, which we often refer to as ESD? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, it happened uh, over Christmas dinner in 2000. Uh, I was sitting at the table with my family and my sister-in-law's sister was there and she was the one that was running the uh, medical department there. Um, it was small, you know, Burning Man was a much smaller event in 2000. And so she just said, hey, you know, you're a nurse. You want to come and work for me at this event? And so I said, sure. I didn't really have any idea what, what was going on. She says, we'll fly you to Reno. Somebody will pick you up. You'll have a place to stay and food to eat. So just bring yourself. It's all going to be fine. And I got there and uh, it was it was late when I got there. They put me in this janky trailer. <laughs> and I woke up the next morning and I opened up the door and there's an art car going by with all of these people just like booming noise. And, and it was just insane. You know, I'm like, I had no idea what I was get, getting myself into. Um, within a year, the head of emergency services had come to me and said, I want you to be a co-chief for this department. And two years later, I was the chief of the department. Um, this for medical, this was the branch medical within ESD. Um, about 10 or 12 years later, I, uh, that, that person that was my, my boss, who is the chief of emergency services decided to leave. And then they asked me to become the chief of emergency services. I happened to be transitioning out of my prior role, um, in the hospital. And so it kind of, I, I took the, I took the job, you know, I was being headhunted by people in the middle East, wanting somebody that had my expertise in technology and nursing and, uh, uh, where they're going to pay me a half a million dollars a year, you know, and I, I chose to work for Burning Man instead because I love it that much. Wow. That's an amazing story. And it goes to show that it's all about connections. Mm -hmm. Yep. So most yeah. of our listeners probably work in facilities that were built years, if not decades ago, but Burning Man is essentially an entire city that gets built in the desert and then completely torn down just a week or so later. And this is just a cycle that repeats every year. Um, so without going into every detail, could you just sort of walk us through that process start to finish? Yeah, sure. Um, well, in a few weeks, uh, the, a bunch of us will go up to the empty desert and we will find the GPS location of the center of the city. And there's a ceremony where we pound the golden spike. Everybody takes a turn at pounding the spike into the ground. And that's the beginning. That spike gets put in there. And then the city is surveyed by a group of people over the next week. Then we go back onto the desert and we build a fence all the way around the city. It's more than nine miles long and it takes less than a day. 
everybody's working super hard and together some people are pounding stakes some people are putting up fence uh <clears throat> other people are making sure everybody's hydrated and fed and it's, so there's this that's the first big communal effort that happens um in the next days after that, we bring in hundreds of containers full of all of the equipment and the, you know, the infrastructure that's going to make the city what it is. Um, my team uh, starts just before Golden Spike to support all of those people. And then once we hit the playa, my people are the ones that go out on in vehicles or we also have a stationary area and people can come there and get assistance um, if they've got, you know, blisters or cuts or whatever. So ESD starts out really early. Um, it, once the city has, has been built, then in come our firefighters. We have, so my, my particular department includes medical. Uh, I oversee a fire department out there. I oversee a communication system that provides radios, um, paging and internet. And then we have a, a crisis intervention team so those, those are our uh, sexual assault and domestic violence advocates and our psychiatric practitioners who can sort of um, <clears throat> identify people who are not doing well and perhaps even uh, they have a thing called Legal 2000 out there, which is the same thing as the 5150 in California. So my team then blooms right there, right before the event happens, and we start providing that full level service about... Um, six days before the event starts. It's so fascinating, like how in depth and well organized it it comes to be in such a short amount of time. And mm -hmm. it's extremely enlightening to have this inside perspective of what goes on behind the scenes, because most people who attend the event show up after that city is built and mm -hmm. everything is in place. So it's really interesting to hear um, from your point of view. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I'm amazed every year. I, I go up really early so that I can um, assist my team. And then there's a lot of stuff that I have to do. I interface with all of the departments. So um, they have needs from us, we have needs for them, um, from them. And so, you know, being that person that kind of uh, lubricates all of that and makes sure that, that everything is running smoothly so that my people can do the job that they need to do is, um, it's really satisfying, you know, it's not, I don't do so much nursing up there as I do being, I, I, I'm a leader of a lot of things besides nursing also. Right. So even though the week, you know, Burning Man is one week or so, mm -hmm. uh, how much planning goes into the emergency services set up every year? Well, I'm a full-time year-round employee, so <laughs> a lot. Um, I have uh, I have chiefs of each of my branches and sections, so that's um, there's seven altogether, and they work year-round with me also. They're the, but they don't they're not paid. They volunteer their time to to help me make that happen. But we have to, you know, as soon as we get finished with the event, we're gonna have we always have some incidents that have occurred, you know, uh, incidents where people have been seriously injured or something has happened that um, that requires me and my team to look more deeply into what happened and provide uh, guidance and evidence to our perhaps the legal team or or our leadership at Burning Man. Right. Um, soon after that, 
we jump into budgeting. We got to figure out what the budget's going to look like for the next year. Uh, we do after action reviews with all of the departments. And so that that's a big thing, figuring out um, what went well and what didn't go well, um, not only with the other departments, but with all of our vendors also. Um, there are contracts that need to be written. We have to do requests for proposals then write up those contracts and negotiate them. Um, we have, uh, and then we start into uh, kind of connecting back up with our volunteers in January. Uh, soon after that, we we're starting to uh, get, get people to submit all of their, their information. Uh, you know, Elise, it's things like, uh, you know, updates on your, your licensure and, uh, have you done your incident command system training and, and is your CPR card up to date, all that. Uh, then we, we move into scheduling, uh, ticketing. Like it, it's, it's a big process and it takes, it takes for ESD, it takes my entire team to do it. And then I work with the entire team of all of the Burning Man departments to make sure that we are all um, working together to make it happen because to build a city from nothing takes a huge amount of integration and cooperation. It's, right. it's a huge, huge lift. And it's a, it's a, it's just magical to watch it actually happen. I'll tell you, there's like, there's, there's not anything quite as magical as standing there at the gate at midnight when the gates open with all of the other people that built the city and, and watching it open up and having them all come in and know, know that, that we all made it happen so that these people could come in and have this really supreme experience. Yeah, it must be very fulfilling to get to that moment after all of the hard work you guys put in. Yeah, I mean, I just got goosebumps talking about it because it's so cool. <laughs> it is. So how does your team manage to operate in such temporary conditions? Um, well, I don't know. Uh, are you talking about emergency services? Yeah, just to have, I mean, I know from, because I have been, and I have the experience that you have tents set up, you have mm -hmm. a tiny little hospital, but mm -hmm. this all comes together in a matter of weeks. Mm -hmm. What is that like for the volunteers, for the mm -hmm. participants, and mm -hmm. how does that just function? Mm -hmm. Um well, you know, um, I mean, it takes a village, of course, you know, we, like we couldn't just set up a tent and give people care. We have to have the power team bring power to that tent so that we have air conditioned spaces. We have to have the, the transpo team bring the shipping containers down that, the, that we plug into the power that we can put patients in. But in order to do that, we have to have a build team out at the ranch who build the container that comes out to the playa that gets powered, that gets um, staffed by our people. So it's, there's just so many steps to it and everybody works together to make sure that the container is the right kind of container and it has the right, do we need internet connection in there? Do we need, how many power outlets do we need? Like, there's so many pieces for just one container. So it, this is a lot of the reason why it takes a year. Uh, it's a year long effort. We spend just in ESD, like hundreds of hours planning every little detail so that so that when we get to the playa or as we're getting ready for the playa, and then we get to the playa, we have mapped out a timeline of things, what needs to go in, what date it goes in, what day does the shade go in compared to the container, compared to the power, compared to the flooring being put down out underneath the shade. And then do we have enough chairs? How many are broken when we open up that container so that we have places 
for people to sit? How many, you know, do we have to do a super quick little um, uh, order of, of reclining chairs from some company so that we have enough and will they get there in time? It's a, there's so many different pieces. And, um, but, it, but because we have so many devoted uh, volunteers that want to help to make this thing happen, it magically just happens perfectly every single year. That is so amazing. And I know that it takes a lot to get all of the volunteers up to speed and ready. Mm -hmm. um, you have policies, procedures in place. You have um, EMRs. They can document on iPads. Mm -hmm. So if you are a patient at one of these tents or buildings, um, it mm -hmm. feels very real. It is very real. And mm -hmm. it's a it's a great patient experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we hear that all the time. In fact, it's it's interesting because a lot of people that are in the medical profession will come out and end up getting hurt. And they so they they find themselves in this in this area. They've never even thought about volunteering with ESD. And once they go in and they get taken care of and the and, you know, I mean, one of the fascinating things to me not only for me as a person who, who had the experience of being a, um, a provider of care in the beginning, but also watching it happen. Um, one of the fascinating things for me is to see what happens when somebody experiences that care and the, and then the experience of the provider of that care, um, it brings people into our department, people that have never thought about coming in as a nurse or a doctor that decides they wanna work with ESD because they got cared for. But the thing I hear over and over again, and I experienced myself uh, my first years at, at Burning Man was when I went out there and provided care for people as my gift to them, that, that, was, my, that was me gifting my, my 10 principal, offer, principal offering to the, the city of Black Rock City, um, it changed how I provided care when I went back into my regular job. And I hear that over and over and over again. People say, I can't stop coming back because it, it gets a shot in the arm. It gives me, it rejuvenates me and makes me a better provider out in the real world. Well, that is a beautiful testament to what a good job your team does. If, mm -hmm. if being a patient is a recruiting tool. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty awesome. And yeah, even our vendors, you know, we have a large, we have a large medical vendor that, um, that brings out the hospital where we have, we have, we're able to provide um, lots of different kinds of medicines, uh, intravenous therapy, radiology, sonography, cardiac monitoring, um, um, so many, I like everything that you would get in a regular hospital, suturing, you, you get it all in, in the hospital that we build there. And and even they feel this way, you know, they say this is, even though they do events all over the country, this is their favorite one because, because it's such a, a rejuvenating experience for them there too. So you've been with the department since around 2000 and how has it evolved over those years? Can you give some examples of improvements that you've witnessed or been a part of during your time in the role? Yeah, it's, it's way different. In the beginning, um, anybody who knew how to put on a Band-Aid could, could come and volunteer with emergency services. I mean, pretty much, you know, that's probably an exaggeration, but, you know, they could be a first responder or, um, <clears throat> and what we found is that if we brought in people who had experience 
that was uh, so experienced in triage, for instance, like real experience in triage. We really looked at, you know, if we brought in doctors and nurses that worked in the ER, um, we were much more likely to have a positive outcome with those people. Because so, for instance, if somebody had um, a sore neck, um, is, is it uh, and a fever? Uh, somebody that with less medical experience might not be able to to um, differentially diagnose something like that. Uh, so uh, we knew that we needed to bring in a a more experienced crew. Um, it, it's also quite different because uh, in the beginning we had one small tent that that was the hospital, quote unquote. Um, they did very little. They they started IVs. They had no medicines at all. I think they had over-the-counter medicines, but that was it. <clears throat> and um, we, as the city became larger and we recognized that shipping people down to Reno for advanced level care was hard on the participants. And it was, um, we, it was hard on us because we didn't have the resources to do that shipping all the time. Um, we decided to bring in a, a, a more comprehensive hospital experience. So um, that's been a big one for, for emergency services. Um, we also, our crisis intervention team that, that deals with people who are having a tough time, um, they, th that team grew from a team of four to a team of almost 90 now. Um, they, they provide a much more um, detailed, um, comprehensive experience for the participants. They work really closely with the Green Dot Rangers who also provide that, that, that caring, that sort of emotional and spiritual caring that a lot of people end up needing. And then, uh, and now we work really closely with Zendo also who provide that, that same kind of, um, they, they provide care for people who are overwhelmed at, at festivals all over the world. Yeah. I, I think having all of these various departments that have their own expertise, um, really streamlines everything when it does come to triage. And mm -hmm. you mentioned Reno. So Black Rock's mm -hmm. pretty remote, mm -hmm. uh, about a hundred miles from the nearest major city. And that would pose a challenge when there are bigger emergencies. So when something occurs that maybe cannot be managed long-term or even immediately in the Burning Man Hospital, mm -hmm. Um, how well is your team equipped to handle that? And when, when, and how would you transfer a patient? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think it's really important to, to, um, to separate my team from the hospital team. While we work together, I write their contract. I work really closely with them all year long. Um, they still are separate from us. They're a vendor. All of their people are licensed in Nevada. All of their physicians are ER physicians. Um, and then they have a, a full ambulance team and a air medevac team that, that provide that transport. So my team doesn't provide transport off the playa to, uh, to the hospitals in Reno. We do, we're kind of the, we're, we're sort of first responders and triagers a lot. You know, um, when we see something that needs um, that may need to be looked at more closely, um, we will uh, 
call in for a dispatch of an ambulance. The ambulance comes and gets that person, brings them to the hospital. And then the hospital decides, can we manage it here? Or do we need to take one of our resources, call in a plane, call in an ambulance and have those um, brought down? So we have a we have a fleet of ambulances on the playa that can participate in that transport. And then we have um, plane, access to planes and helicopters that can transport people more quickly down to Reno if necessary. It's so interesting. And I'm sure reassuring to participants to know that that infrastructure is in place. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's grown a lot. We didn't have planes until maybe 10 years ago. Um, and the, you know, in the beginning there, there were, I don't know, three or four ambulances compared to seven to eight now. So quite different. So you manage a team of almost completely remote workers mm -hmm. and often it's a revolving door. You have new volunteers each year. Some volunteers may not return mm -hmm. the following year and many are traveling long distances to volunteer for this week. What is that like? I imagine you have to be extremely adaptable and mm -hmm. extremely efficient with training and preparing new volunteers. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's um, it's not that much different than than the hospital environment or a clinic or whatever. Um, the turnover, a lot of turnover um, is is the sign to a leader that you're maybe not doing things well. Um, turnover is expensive. It's hard to train new people. And so really the goal is to make the, the experience uh, so enriching for people that they want to come back year after year. And so certainly we have people that they volunteer for Burning Man ESD specifically because it's on their bucket list and they come once and you know, it's a one and done. Uh, but Every year we have more and more returning people uh, because, because we work every year really hard to, uh, we, we pay a lot of attention every year to how do we make this experience as enriching as possible? How do we make people feel like this is another family for them? And so by, by providing uh, community camping experiences for our ESD personnel, by, um, giving out cool swag uh, by uh, making the experience uh, with the leadership that they work with. We, we pick leaders in particular to lead stations and be fire lieutenants and you know, run our different operations. We, we pick people to lead those um, on playa sites in a particular way, we're looking for somebody who's a gatherer, you know, somebody that makes people feel included. We never, ever pick people who are, um, you know, cranky, um, mean to people, <laughs> um, judgmental, you know, we're, we're looking for people to, to gather. Well, I, I will say that you've done a great job at exactly what you just mentioned, because I am one of those returning volunteers year <laughs> year. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> this will yeah. be my first year as a station lead, and I'm oh, really nice. looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah, Thanks. you'll do great. You'll be perfect. You got picked for the exact reason I just said. You're a gatherer. <laughs> Thank you. And I can say without a doubt that you're an extremely effective communicator, which I think is so important in your role. You go above and beyond to make sure we're all in the loop at all times. And usually we, we know well in advance before something's even coming. So your organization skills and that clear communication makes the role of a volunteer feel very seamless. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. 
Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, really, that that really is the job of a leader. I mean, I've, I've never wanted to be a manager, you know, <laughs> managers, um, managing people is not what we're not supposed to be managers. Lead, leading people is all about being, we're like the the lubricant in the engine. We're not the engine, we're the lubricant. We just, we make it so that other people can, can be successful. And if, if we're um, standing around telling people what to do, we're not doing it right, you know? That's a great way to put it. So moving into the pandemic, Burning uh-huh. Man, <laughs> Burning Man <laughs> it was actually canceled the last couple of years, 2020 and 2021, the event did not happen. Um, can you talk a little bit about what went into that decision and the decision now to return in mm-hmm. 2022? Yeah. I mean, I don't think the Burning Man was alone. I know they weren't alone. No, everybody was canceling their events back then. And and we it would have been um, a, a disaster to hold an event when everybody else is saying this isn't safe and the who is saying it's not safe and CDC is saying, you know, all of public health is saying it's not safe to do this, um, to do it anyway would have been, um, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, arrogant, I think, you know? So um, the, the decision was hard to make. It was easiest to make it in 2020 because nobody was doing it. In 2021, people started doing it more, but there was so much fracture. People were were feeling so fractured personally, and we had not been able to meet at all in person for so long. Um, It was lucky that we actually considered doing 2021. And around May, I think it was, we decided not to um, because of many things, not just the pandemic, but, but also this this uh, people feeling this lack of resiliency that came from isolation for so long. And it was a lucky thing because then the Delta variant came swooped on in and um, all of the metrics had said, we're going to be good to go. Hardly any cases here, you know, uh, across the, the, the country uh, by the time we get to August and the metrics were wrong. So really a lucky decision that, or a wise decision that we made in, in 2021. Um, so too, it was just so ever changing at that time, and in, in that moment when you had to make a decision, I don't think there was enough information yet. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, uh, but now there is enough in- information. It feels like I mean, we don't know what's going to happen between now and August. We could have another wacky variant come and and decimate things again. But but we're sort of counting on that not happening, especially with vaccinations and and there's so many people that have become infected that um, the the inklings of herd immunity are starting to, to emerge, but who knows, you know, this, this virus has been a, a surprise to all of us over and over again. It sure has. So at the time of this recording, Burning Man has yet announced, hasn't yet announced pandemic related changes. And that announcement might be made by the time the episode is released, but could you talk a bit about the challenges you anticipate with communicating any changes to such a large and diverse audience? Sure. Um, the, the Burning Man community is large and diverse. <laughs> um, and COVID has worn the community down, um, just as it's worn the entire global community down. Um, you know, one of the things that we really have recognized is that there are varying degrees of risk tolerance. Um, so we have people 
who, as we post things on our website, we have people who are saying, how dare you hold an event? And we have other people saying, stop being so worried. We need one another so badly right now after two years of, of, um, of not having the event. Um, and, you know, we, and we have, we feel a particular compassion for our volunteers because they don't necessarily get to pick what that risk tolerance is going to be for them. Um, so for instance, a gate volunteer, uh, we want a person to, to mask up uh, when they come to the gate, but what if we have a, uh, a mask denier and they say, I'm not putting on my mask. And you know, that, that, that there's a lot of, there are a lot of um, pieces to this and they're, and and the and we have a really huge community too, and so um, so our goal was to create protocols that align with the public health best practice and respect those who are at a higher risk, while at the same time knowing that some people are just over it. Um, it's this is a really big lift for our community. Um, doing that in a community that comes from around the globe for one week presents a different challenge. We don't have the benefit of familiarity with one another like a, like a small town would. Um, we don't start the event knowing the community rate of infection um, so, or the historic rate of spread. So for instance, when I go to the grocery store here, um, I can look up online and find out where, where are things at in the county that I live in. And we don't have that, that benefit in, this, in, the, in building a city where people come from around the world. So it's essentially, it's a, it's a social experiment bringing 80,000 people together in a normal year. But the pandemic has added a complex new layer to that experiment. And we hope to be successful as advocates for public health and safety foremost. Well, your team definitely exemplifies teamwork and just being able to make decisions like this for such a unique um, situation is, is really fascinating and inspiring. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. So, Kate, it may be a bit late for volunteers to jump on board this year for Burning Man, but if there is anyone interested in volunteering, how would you recommend that they go about doing that? It's best to wait until January or so, maybe December, uh, to get onto the website, uh, www.burningman.org. There's a, a spot there where you can click participate. And when you go into participate, you're going to pick emergency services department as the one that you're interested in volunteering with. Um, we, we do prefer people who have been to Burning Man before, but we do take people who haven't been, uh, depending on maybe past experience with, with working at events. Um, there's a lot of different criteria, but the bottom line is uh, go to the Burning Man website, click the participate link, and then choose ESD as the department you want to participate in, and we will uh, get back to you. Perfect. Thank you so much. Finally, we've noted already how different your role is from the typical position in a hospital. What advice do you have for nurse leaders looking to shake things up and try something new? Oh, <laughs> oh wow. Well, gosh, you know, I mean, I started so many years ago um, as, as a nurse, um, it's funny because I got out of nursing school and I started in med surge and I'm like, this is not me at all. And I, and so I just like got super um, 
courageous and just started to push myself into the ER because I knew I would like that. So then I did my ER nursing and then I went to Burning Man and I found out new things about myself as a nurse when I went to Burning Man and went back, brought that back to my department. And suddenly I'm a charge nurse. Then I'm a manager. And I got super into techie stuff because I was starting to help with the Burning Man stuff. And I had to use a computer a lot. And um, when the EMRs were going live around the country, I became fascinated with that and switched from working in the ER management role into working in managing the, the transition from paper to computer. Um, I moved out of that. Uh, it, it I mean, there's, it's a long story how I moved out of that, but ultimately I ended up taking this job. I think that, you know, it takes, it takes courage to, to move. Um, but I think it also enriches you so much as a human when you try to do different things. And I think that we as nurses have this really unique, um, we have unique opportunity because there are so many different ways that you can express yourself as a nurse in, um, in the workforce. So uh, I guess my advice to people would be, um, be courageous, um, be enthusiastic, uh, and, you know, like I said earlier, like never manage people because it just doesn't work. People don't want to be managed. They want to be led. You know, they want to, they want, they want you to facilitate them. They want you to be the springboard for them being uh, better at what they do. People want autonomy. You know, Dan Pink says they, people do anything if you give them autonomy and a sense of purpose and allow them to master their skills. And it's, so it's our job as a leader to provide that for others. And as if we're, if you're looking to make a change, make a change into something that provides you autonomy and sense of purpose and the ability to master your skills. Cause those are the only things that are going to make it so that you'll work, you'll work for nothing. Like I did for a number of years, <laughs> I worked for nothing because, because uh, it brought me all that. That is wonderful advice. You have such an interesting background and experience and such a wealth of knowledge. And we thank you for sharing with us. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Elise. Thanks for having me. Our guest today was Kate Ganella, Chief of Emergency Services at Burning Man. Kate, thank you so much for joining us. We'd love to hear your feedback. Email us at socialmedia at acnl.org and connect with us on LinkedIn and Facebook at ACNL Nurse. And as always, if you like the show, please remember to rate, review, and share the show. ACNL in Action is presented by the Association of California Nurse Leaders with new episodes on the first Friday of every month. To learn more about the show or ACNL in general, visit acnl.org. Thanks for listening. 